Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. his word. Can we do that? I thank you today, God. And I want to just say thank you for the privilege that you have given me tonight to stand one more time behind this sacred desk and open this wonderful book of truth. And I'm asking you tonight to help me to move me out of the way and just let your word speak tonight to all of our heart and strengthen us by the power of your divine hand moving and strengthening us as we go in Jesus name. Amen. And you can be seated. I want to speak about the power of reconciliation tonight. To be reconciled is a wonderful thing. If there has been a a perceived wall or gap, chasm of any sort, uh, the power of reconciliation. And um, I don't think anybody really, well, maybe some, but for the most part, I don't think most normal people enjoy the argument but I think they do enjoy the reconciliation. Amen? Just to be able to come back together and, and we feel that our hearts are even more knit together, and uh, whether that is a companion or a friendship, whatever it may be. I'm thankful for the power of reconciliation. So this is what Paul is dealing with uh, in, in verses 20 through 23 in chapter 1. And uh, we hear the, the phrase irreconcilable differences. It's a phrase that we're not uncommon with. The concept of this is certainly not limited to just relationships. Um, I believe it is a problem of of tremendous, if not epidemic, proportions in our world today. Because we live in a world that is certainly impacted by a sense of separation. And uh, there there are people and there are... Uh, communities of people that enjoy keeping indifferences alive. And um, I said to someone today, and not related to this message, but I said to someone today that it just seems as though that some people find their identity in dysfunction. And so if something's not going on, just give them a little time and room and they'll get it going on. Because they have found an identity in that world of dysfunction. And um, frankly, it's hard for me to comprehend, but it just seems as though they can't or could not or don't want to exist in a world of order. And uh, I, I'm just uh, I'm thankful I, I'm thankful that I can only view that from a distance and I don't have to live in that every day. But we, we certainly live in a world of alienation. And, and whether that's real or imagined, it is a serious issue in our world today. I'm not sure if there's ever been a time, certainly in my lifetime, 
I don't want to say in history because history holds a lot of things. But I'm not sure of a time in my lifetime where, where there has been so much indifference and separation and, and pulling apart from our political world on down. Uh, there are just so many definite lines that are drawn in the sand among people that should be pulling us together. And yet there is a sense of separation. And uh, there are, I think there are many reasons for this alienation and many reasons for this separation. But when we think of things like race and um, education status or um, religion, politics, things of that nature, um, they're all little key pinpoints for a cause or a reason for separation. So we can just say, well, the reason we're divided is over race. Or somebody say, well, the reason we're divided is because of social status. Or the reason we're divided in this particular situation is over our status in life or uh, our education or even sometimes money. I remember many years ago um, going through the, driving through the city of Naples and I was listening to a local radio station. And they were advertising a brand new um, country club that was being developed. And uh, I've shared this before, but it comes to my mind, where the homes ranged, um, I believe, anywhere from like one point, starting at 1.2 million up to two point something million dollars. And um, I have a good friend who pastors in Naples. And not long after that, I saw him. And I was telling him about that advertisement. I said, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a real shame uh, for the people that live in the $2 million homes to look down on those that just live in a $1 million home. And I was laughing. He said, you're laughing, but that really happens. And he said, there is really a difference among that community of whether you live in a $1 million home or a $2 million home. And um, I just want to tell you tonight, if you live in a $2 million home or a $1 million home, I still think the best of you. But can you imagine, I mean, at that point, to me, you're making up a reason for there to be a divide. You're making up a reason for that. So, but in truth, our world has had a long and perhaps even sad history of one group looking down on another group for various reasons, whatever it may be. And uh, so today, I think that we see, and and even, I, I don't want to, uh, I, I believe that we can even sense a, a, an attitude or a spirit of hostility in our world. You, it's not just what you see and read, and not just what we uh, that we is brought to us by way of news and things of that nature. But there is a sense of hostility in the world, and uh, you can be in a line at a supermarket and just one thing go wrong with the checkout, and we just went from a good day to a very bad day. It just seems people are just on the very edge of a. Of us, I'm using the word hostility on purpose. It's just like people are hostile for no reason. Not really, no reason at the end of the day was didn't call for all of that. And so, but though we are taken by that when it happens, we really shouldn't be because Jesus said that it would happen. That's what He said. He said in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars, and we may wonder what He meant by that because from the beginning of time there has always as long as you've had people there, as long as you've had people in wars, there have been people to fight those wars. And so as long as we can trace history back, uh, we're, we can find wars. But I believe maybe more so than Jesus talking about military conflict, I don't think that is an exclusion. 
but maybe more than a military conflict, I believe that what Jesus is referring to is what we're talking about here tonight, this, this spirit and the frequency of just such hostility that is in the atmosphere. And uh, we see that trend not going away, but we see that trend rising uh, at an un unbelievable rate. And so that begs the question, why is there this sense of hostility and why do people feel this great sense of alienation or this great sense of separation? I believe that the human race feels a sense of separation and alienation with one another because we are alienated from God. Amen. You don't have to believe that, but I believe that when man gets separated from God, that once there is a divide created, then that divide touches every aspect of our life. And so, uh, you know, people have posed the question, and we say it sometimes humorously, why can't we all just get along? But it is an honest question. Why? <laughs> why can't we all just get along? I understand that that seems like a very shallow approach to sometimes deep-rooted problems, but there is a baseline truth to that, that we can get along if we choose to do so. Amen. So, but, but I believe again that there's this separation uh, with people is because there is a separation from God. And so our subject this evening is we're going to talk about reconciliation. And uh, I believe until we are reconciled with God that we'll never be able to reconcile with one another. And so I realize I don't have a national platform tonight, so to speak. But I will just say this, that as long as our nation is alienated from God, we have no hope but alienation among others in the world. Amen. Because this is where it begins and this is where it ends. It, actually, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we certainly see in the Garden of Eden, they were not content to follow the will of God. They said, we want our own path. We want to do our own thing. And as a result, sin entered the world. And uh, it entered the human race. And, and theologians call this the fall of mankind. We've heard that phrase. And, and Adam and Eve fell from grace. They received the consequences of their disobedience. And sin came into the world. And sin began to corrupt everything. Sin corrupts thoroughly, through and through. Not just around the edges, doesn't just touch a little aspect of our life. But sin corrupts thoroughly. Sin separates mankind and that separation produces a sense of feeling alienated. It alienates us from God, and then, of course, it alienates us from one another. And so our only hope is what we're talking about tonight is the spirit of reconciliation for someone, somehow, to be able to pull all of this back together. Amen? I'm, I'm, uh, I always appreciate someone who can take broken things and make them whole. Amen. If you've ever wrecked an automobile and you didn't total it out, you wrecked an automobile and, and you're looking at the damage and you're thinking, man, well, where to from here? You pull into the body shop and, and, uh, and, and all of your fear and all of your anxiety, all of your worries, are, are you're wearing them on your shoulder, but the guy that comes out to give you an estimate already knows what they're going to do to fix it. They already have a plan, and when you go back and pick it up, it looks just like it did the day you brought it. The, the day you bought it. And so I have a great appreciation for people that can take broken things and, and make them whole. And uh, so our, our hope is that we need a divine reconciliation. And so in this situation, we need God to step in and do something that we cannot. 
Amen. We really need God to step into our world. We need God to step in. in we need God to step into our world. I'm not just talking about step on the globe. We need God to step into our personal world and do something that we cannot do. Amen. He must bridge the gap and he must bring us first back to himself. Now for the sake of teaching tonight in a, in a couple of our verses, especially those in Colossians, I'm going to be teaching from the New King James Version and so you'll notice that on the screen. It may not match yours exactly, but I want to do this so that we understand exactly what Paul is writing. Colossians 1, 20 and 21, and the scripture says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, that's you and I, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Amen. I'm thankful for that. God has a plan of reconciliation. We look at lives that are shattered, tattered, and broken, and sometimes they're even more shattered, tattered, and broken than we may assume because it's not just the natural things of life that seem to be upended, but it's emotional stress and emotional wounds and scars, but God has a plan of reconciliation. And so even though Mankind chose to sin and disobey him. He was not content to leave man in that, in that situation that we were in, even though we may have deserved it. Amen. He wasn't content to leave us in that, in that position. And so the, the fall of man brought uh, with it sin, and it brought condemnation upon all things. All things were condemned, not just humanity. But the earth was condemned. The earth was cursed. It brought a curse upon all creation. The Bible talks about that thorns and thistles would now be a part uh, of the earth and that you're going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow and, and, and uh, that there would be pain in childbirth. And, and not only was humankind cursed, but creation itself was also impacted. The Bible says in Romans 8 and uh, verse number 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. This was a direct result, a direct result of sin entering into the world. And so uh, there, there, is a, there is a falling away. There is a natural tendency for everything in life, humankind, uh, creation, every aspect of it. There is a tending uh, of, of degradation from the very moment or from the very word go. It is, it is what is referred to as the second law of thermodynamics. That may sound a little complex, but what it really means is this. There is a tending toward uh, disorder and a tending toward decay. And that's how it is that we are born in this life with a tendency to disorder and a tendency to decay. You do not have to cultivate disorder. You have to cultivate order. You just put innocent, wonderful, loving, and I'm not, I'm not being cute here, I'm being honest. You can put just innocent, loving, tender children in a room and just leave them alone. And it won't be long. There will be disorder. That's the absolute truth. Even if they're not in there fussing and fighting, 
But when you go in there and see all the things they painted on your wall, there will be chaos and disorder because there is a tending of that. That's just where our natural bent is. That's where our natural bent is. I mean, you don't have to cultivate that. You have to cultivate organization, and, and you can't just organize something one time and wipe your hands and say, well, we got that taken care of. you got to go back to it and attend to it again and again and again and again. But God plans to turn all this around by reconciling all things, including creation, unto himself. If we read the very next verse in Romans 8, 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Amen. Everything is going to be reconciled unto the Lord. And so when God fulfills his purpose in the plan of reconciliation, even creation will be set free from decay. Amen. Sin thoroughly corrupted us. And uh, in, in theological terms, we call that total depravity. Amen. It means that we can do nothing to save ourselves. We can't sing ourselves saved. We can't think ourselves saved. We have got to have the power of God. Amen. I can't have you repeat after me. I can't have you sign a roll of a membership and that take care of your eternal salvation. Absolutely not. Amen. I can do nothing to save myself. You can do nothing to save yourself. We need God to step on the scene and do what we cannot do. Amen. The power of reconciliations. Amen. That power is a power that is beyond us. That power is a power that is that is more than it's outside human will. In other words, we need a savior. Amen. We must have a savior. We must have a savior. And Jesus Christ is the answer to that sense of alienation. He is our hope. Now there was a price for that, of course. There's a price for that. In Colossians 20, it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It is very easy to read just, if you were just to read Colossians, if you were just to read the 20th verse of the first chapter, and we were to say that we have now have peace through the blood of his cross and don't really understand the magnitude of what the blood of his cross really is, if we don't go back and read about Calvary, if we don't go back and read about the crucifixion, if we don't go back and read about what happened on Golgotha's hill, we don't know the magnitude of that. Amen. When you think about the complexity of the galaxies and the, the heavens that are around us, I, I believe it's something like five words or something that he made the stars also. I mean, you know, we just read that in the book of Genesis and he made the stars also. And if, if you don't know anything about the stars, you can think, well, that was nice. But if you think about and if you've ever studied on and I'm sure somewhat in, in, in school that you're taught some of those things, when you begin to understand the vastness of the universe and we just realize and he just made the stars also as though he just flung them into space. I want to tell you that we need a Savior. We need a Savior that can step onto the scene. Amen. We need someone that understand the power of what this cost us. Amen. The Bible says in, in the 22nd verse, in the body of his flesh through death. It's a little more plain there. Jesus would pay the price through the cross. Paul said that we have peace through his shed blood on the cross, which speaks, of course, of his death. And the significance of his blood being shed is that his life was poured out. His death paid the penalty for our sin. The Bible teaches us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. 
Amen. We, we understand that. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was our standing substitute. He took our place. Amen. Furthermore, his death on the cross revealed the serious nature of sin. I marvel. It, it's, it's horrifying to think how little some people think of sin. It's no big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Think about how God considers sin and how God views that, how the Lord would look at that. Many people take it lightly, but I can promise you that the Lord doesn't. He doesn't take sin lightly because he knows the corrosive nature of sin, the corrupting nature of sin, the separating nature of sin. It took nothing less than Calvary's cross and Calvary's price, rather, to, to pay that penalty. Nothing else could satisfy that debt. And so God takes sin seriously, and I believe we should take sin seriously. And so it is not incidental that society teaches us through just little doses here and little doses there to get comfortable with sin. I've said many times that a lot of, that a lot of very vile, vulgar, and abominable things have been introduced to the public through comedy. We'll just laugh our way through Alternative lifestyles will laugh our way through all this and it just we just cozied right up to it if you don't mind me using that phrase. We have just warmed our hands over a very, very dangerous flame because sin has lost its impact on the world at large in which we live today. Amen. And so we have got to understand the power of the cross to understand sin as God sees it. There's a purpose, of course, behind the spirit of reconciliation. Verse 22, reading again, in, his, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so he didn't just reconcile us to put us on a shelf. Amen. He reconciled us to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. And so our consecration is the absolute purpose of reconciliation. God desired to print us, to present us to himself, a holy people. And so it is our responsibility to not only get holy, but to stay holy. Amen. Not only to be without, to have blemishes fixed in our life, but to stay away from the things that blemish our life. As a matter of fact, we should be free from the very accusation of sin. Amen. Because the accuser of the brethren is busy day and night. Amen. Before the very throne of God. And so we don't need to live so close to the line that we could even be accused of sin. Is that all right? Amen. That speaks of, of the purpose of God in reconciliation. We are made being made fit for heaven. God is preparing us for that place. And as a part of this process, he is changing us from the inside out. Amen. Now, not only did, did his death on the, on the cross reconcile us, but it also works in us to change us into a people that are more like him. And we're not levitating. I'm not trying to make anybody more spiritual than they really are, but we are in the process of what God is doing in our life. Amen. I'm glad that I am not the same man that I was a year ago or 90 days ago, or five years ago. I'm glad that his righteousness has been imputed, imparted unto me. And so we stand not in our own righteousness. Nothing could be further from the truth, but we stand in his, in his righteousness. And now 
Amen. He sees us, that righteousness in us. In other words, we're being made fit. We're being made uh, proper for heaven. And one day we're going to be glorified. But can I tell you that the process has already begun. It is at work right now. In the book of 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, the Bible says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of God, here it is, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the process has already begun. The wheels are already in motion. Amen. It's going to be completed, of course, when he returns to receive us into glory. But we're not going to be just transformed from what, from what we are to what we need to be in a moment of time from here to there. But we're being changed now. We're in the process now. At that time, of course, we're going to be totally transformed as we receive our spiritual body. But until then, we are being gradually transformed more and more into his likeness. Amen. I can appreciate that nobody wants to stand up and say glory to God. I'm more like the Lord today than I was yesterday. But the truth of the matter is we really are. Amen. If we're allowing God's work and word to work in our lives, we are being transformed little by little by little. Amen. This is a process that we call sanctification. Amen. We're in the process of being sanctified. It's a continual thing. It is a progressive thing. Amen. But it is, a, it is a continual and a progressive being set apart for the purpose of God. And I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to be plain tonight. That if you are not willing to let the spirit of sanctification be at work in your life, you will never become what God has purposed for you to be. Amen. You would say, well, I want to be here. And then we look over there and say, I want to be transformed into that over there. And I want that to happen in 24 hours or in the next week or during our upcoming revival. But that's not how it works we got to give our life to him today totally completely 100% dedicated amen and we got to walk in that walk in what we know we may not be where we want to be but we're on our way to that amen that is the essence of what it means to be holy to be holy is to be set apart that is God's purpose for all of our lives and it is his purpose in reconciliation I believe that, that in addition to all of that, that there's going to be evidence of that process in our life. There absolutely will be evidence in that in our life. Verse number 23, the scripture said, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I mean, there is a contingency. There is there. We've got to stay grounded and steadfast. And we can't move away from the things that we know. Amen. Our faithfulness is going to be a partial proof of what God is doing in our life. I'm faithful. I'm walking in what I know to do. I don't want to take two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, three steps back. If you do the math, you're not going forward. You're going backward. Amen. Our text gives us the standard that we can use to judge whether or not we have been reconciled. And that standard is whether or not we continue in our faith. Continue to walk with him. I'm going to tell you tonight that some people in this room have been walking with the Lord for a long, long, long time. Amen. And if you could just go back through a spiritual photo album and you could see the transformation that has taken place in their lives, so gradual, 
so gradual. <clears throat> In the last several weeks, my wife and I have most especially her been going through a lot of old photo albums and things of that nature. And uh, man, you just look back at some of those pictures and you think, who is that guy? Furthermore, what happened to him? Where did he go? Hadn't seen him around in a while. Transformation. Transformation. I saw, I found a picture in my office a few days ago and uh, going through a, a box I had. It was a picture of me and, and my office and, and, uh, and uh, Victor and Gina Vera, brothers Victor and sister Gina Vera. And so I took a snapshot of that. We looked like three teenagers standing there and uh, we might have been just above that. And I took a picture of that and I sent it to Brother Vera and he said, who in the world are these people? <laughs> but if we could just have a spiritual photo album and just thumb through those pages, we would understand that we have continued in our faith and because we've continued in our faith, there has been some obvious changes that have taken place. Amen. There's going to be something that we can put our hand on, something that we can look at, some identifying marks, amen, that, that we are really, indeed, continuing in the faith. Have you ever wondered why some people who claim to be Christians, yet they show little or no evidence of that proclamation? Amen. That's the truth. They have no desire to go to church, no desire to read the Bible, no desire to worship the Lord, no desire to fellowship with other people. And you just not being judgmental, but I'm just saying that there should be something that is evidence. There should be something that is visible in the sight of other people that somebody could identify you as being as being firm in your faith. It seems uh, strange to me that someone would want to profess that and yet have no identifying marks of that life. Amen. There is an answer. I think the, the sad fact is that not all who claim to be Christians really are Christians because I believe that Christianity is life-changing. Amen. I believe there's a transformation that happens in our, not just that moment you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost or not just that moment that you are baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. Amen. But I believe that there is something trans, life-changing, transforming about an encounter with God. Amen. This is not a religion. It is not a ritual. This is not something we do based upon just our heritage. Amen. It's not something that we do based on good works. But I believe that Christianity is is a living, daily, amen, hourly, minute by minute walk with a living God. Amen. I, I, I remember Elder Brother Bingham saying many years ago, he said, you ought not be more than three hallelujahs away from victory. I understand what he means. That's because you're living close to the flame. You're living right there at it. Amen. It is a living relationship, a live relationship with a living God. you don't know where your Bible is, you probably aren't reading it daily. Amen. And so we can't claim to have something and yet not be able to find it. We can't claim to be something and yet there be no evidence of that. And so an encounter with God is something that causes us to surrender our life and he comes into our life and it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not us, amen, but there should be evidence in the way we live our life. There should be something that shows to the outside world, not for showmanship, not for the sake of showmanship, 
not just for the sake of, uh, of, of anything in particular, but Jesus said that you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. There's going to be something that there's something that is evidence of that. You can you can not know anything at all about that particular tree, but once you identify the fruit that's on the tree, once you can identify the fruit that it's bearing, you know instantly what kind of tree that it is. Amen. And so I don't think it is wrong for the Lord to expect. And I don't think it's wrong for society. I'm going to go one step further. I don't think it's wrong for society to expect that if they see our car in this parking lot on Sunday and on Wednesday, if they see our car in this parking lot, they ought to be able to expect to find fruit of that on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That's the absolute truth. But if we are on our job or if we're just about our daily life and we act no different from those who have no proclamation of anything in their life, then they have every right to question that. Amen. I want, I want there to be something already made up. Amen. A decision in my mind. And so if we have been truly been born again, then I believe our lives will be a reflection of that. There will be something that is evidence in that. And so our faithfulness is the proof of our reconciliation because when you read in the Word of God, true Christians, they always worship the Lord. They always sat around His Word. Amen. They always were plugged in to what was going on. Amen. They were always in fellowship together with one another. Amen. They were always witnessing. And there's many, many other common denominators that we can find. And so when you find somebody in the New Testament church, it doesn't matter what church they were a part of, you find some common denominators among them. They were plugged into what was going on. They were worshipers. They loved the Word of God. They loved one another. Amen. I'm thankful for the word of God. Praise the Lord. I'm going to I'm going to wrap up here this evening with with the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just see how long the runway is. You can stand. I think the runway is short enough that wouldn't keep you up too long. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. The Bible says therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now I'm just going to pause. And I want to ask you, do you remember that juncture in your life? Do you remember that juncture in your life when old things passed away and all things became new? The old man died. There's some here tonight young enough in the Lord they could raise both hands high and say, yes, sir, I remember that vividly. But let me tell you, right, there you go. Amen. But no matter how far we get down the road, we should never forget where the Lord has brought us from. That moment that all old things just passed away, the things that used to entertain us, the things that used to satisfy us, the things that we used to find great comfort in, all of a sudden it just it just don't taste that way anymore, don't feel that way anymore. And the Bible says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. The church. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, here it is again, the word of reconciliation. I believe that the church, the power, one of the powers of the church, should be a voice of reconciliation. 
Amen. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So not only have we been reconciled to the Lord, but we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. I believe that the spirit of the church ought to be pulling people together. And I believe the spirit of the church ought to be pulling not just families back together, but I believe we have the power to pull I believe we have the power to pull communities back together. I believe we have the power to affect nations. I didn't scare you with that, did I? Because we've been given the spirit, the power of reconciliation. So we're not just to hold our Bibles close to us and hum the old hymns of yesteryear and just as though that's some kind of religious rite or ritual that we go through and we cross our our name off of the, check the box on a given day and say we have done our duty. No, no, no. Every day is our duty to serve the world in which we live. I believe that when we walk in a place of business, when a child of God walks in a place of business, we are to bring peace with us. Amen. One of the greatest compliments you'll ever receive is when somebody says, I feel peace when you're here. It ought to be that. You know what? They feel the spirit of reconciliation, the spirit of pulling something back together. Amen. So now we stand in the place of Christ and we appeal to others that they too can be reconciled, ambassadors for Christ. Amen. And so we represent, if I can say this, we represent a living God to a watching world. And friend, let me tell you, they are watching. I don't mean judgmentally, waiting for you to stump your toe. There may be a few knuckleheads that way, but they're watching. They're watching because they like the hope they find in your walk with God. They love the hope they see in your everyday life because you represent something powerful to them. Amen. We hold in our hands the, king, the keys to heaven. Amen. We have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God forgive us if we're silent about it. And God forgive us if we are one thing here and something somewhere else and we hang our walk with God on a nail until we can all get back together. No, God didn't call us so that we can reconcile and entertain one another. He called us so that we can go into a broken world and represent healing. Amen. A pulling back together, a mending. That's why He's called us. Amen. And so in Him, there are no there, there, there are no differences that cannot be reconciled in the Spirit of God. Amen. The power of God can bring us together. I'm thankful to know him and the power of his mind. I'm glad that he is not intimidated by the fractures that happen in life. He's not intimidated by the fractures that happen in our heart or our spirit. Amen. He can, he can take care of it. He gives us the same power to do it. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be in your house and to teach your word and to minister. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.